0: Everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Catalillo. Before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic, and author of Who Do Justice Magic. Final production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. Monthly co-host Jared Murphy. Author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us, and Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Ken Bootsward. I think I, I pronounced that right. Yeah, that's good. And he has written a book called UFOs in the Bible. Thanks for coming on, Ken. Hey,
1: thanks for having me, Gary. It's great to be here.
0: So what got you interested in the topic of UFOs in the Bible? Um, well,
1: I, um, I grew up uh, raised in a Christian family and I was very involved in church uh, for about 45 years. And... Um, <clears throat> uh i was i was always really interested in the old testament and uh studying some of the stories in there um and um i guess a lot of times in the, in uh in religion you're you have i guess limited um availability to question certain things mm-hmm. and um as I kind of went on I was like just got interested in some stuff that wasn't uh, super um, orthodox. <laughs> and so um, basically um, UFOs wasn't the first thing that I started looking into, but there's just, there's a lot of other discrepancies, I guess, or even just um, differences in the way uh, like the, the, the things that the church teaches versus what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. Um, and so I guess, um, for, I was kind of interested in like almost like revivalism or, uh, like, um, re- reformation kind of stuff. Like in terms of like, Hey, we're not like, I don't think what we're doing right now is like really a necessarily the biblical model or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went down a few rabbit holes with that kind of stuff. And, um, basically from that, um, had kind of a falling out with the church I was at. And they basically said, well, okay, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be part of this team, you've gotta follow these rules. And they hit me with the doctrinal statement, right? So the doctrinal statement was like very much, um, well, this is what we believe. And if you don't like it, then, You know, we're not going to kick you out, but basically you can't do business under our uh, umbrella kind of a thing. So because I was doing a lot of uh, volunteerism and and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, so at that point, I was like, well, I I can't really do that. So uh, so I left. And then because now I didn't really have any kind of authority over me saying, hey, this is how you got to do it. Well, now I have a little more freedom. Um, and so at that point, um, I started looking at, okay, well, here's, let's go back to some of these really weird things and, and see what's up with that. So I'd always been a really big fan of ancient aliens and, um, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I hadn't read a lot of the books on the topic, um, but I knew that some of them were, were out there. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to, um, to investigate that a little bit more in terms of, you know, what, um, the claims of, um, like Von Daniken and, and guys like that who, who were kind of bringing up these topics about, well, the UFO, there's UFOs in the Bible. And, um, so what I thought was, well, you know, I could go read his book. Well, I actually did read, I read, um, chariots of the gods and, um, I was kind of, um, surprised at how little he really talked about it. Like, he really bounces off the topic, doesn't even graze the surface. Um, because he doesn't go into it, he doesn't even read any of the, like, the scriptural context at all. So he just sort of makes a claim, this is that. And I'm like, well, okay, so now I really want to read the Bible and see what it says. Um, so that's what I started doing, and uh, basically um, I kind of sat down and, and just sort of thought, well, what, where are the parts? So Flondanican mentions Ezekiel, mm-hmm. um, that's the and first one he also mentions. <laughs> exactly, right, because it's super weird. Um, so obviously that's on my list, and then I, I was kind of also thinking, well, what are other things that sort of might be like that we should maybe check out? Because I know that there's tons of other ones in there that nobody's really brought up yet. Um, so I kind of started making a list. And so Ezekiel, obviously, um, turns out Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, also has very similar accounts um, as Ezekiel's. Uh, not only that, they're in the um, same time period and same geographical area. So that's interesting. Um then uh, the some of the stuff around the Book of Exodus with Moses and uh, right. the things that were happening on Mount Sinai and all that kind of stuff seemed like an obvious place uh, to look. Um, there was a there's a lot of weird stuff in the Book of Genesis, um, of course, with the Nephilim yes. and things like that, um, with Enoch. Uh, but of course, a lot of the Genesis stories are um, either not super detailed in terms of what like phenomenologically speaking like they were more interested in uh like the characters of the story in some of these stories and um and then some of the genesis accounts are really just uh, nothing more than references to uh, another story that they assume the reader is familiar with which is very true of the of enoch um and uh the ne- the nephilim thing especially with the reference to the nephilim it lit, it says in what the bible says in that verse is basically uh you know the sons of god came and they they mated with these uh women and and created giants and these were the heroes of old okay moving on and then they go on <laughs> to something else so so what are the heroes of old that obviously sounds to me like um we're supposed to know something about this we're supposed to already know about the heroes of old and so could it be that they're just referring to um previous characters in the bible well there weren't really very many characters in like before because this is very early in the story um so i wonder if those are referring to uh, the sumerian mythologies and other pre-existing stories Apart from the Bible um, that we don't know about, mm-hmm. and also things like the Book of Enoch and other um, other Hebrew literature that's not currently included in the canon. Um, so that's kind of one one pr- limit that I put on myself, which is a little bit unfortunate, but um, I wanted this particular book to focus on uh, only on the Bible. and mm-hmm. so, I chose to, uh, to look at only canonical books. Um, so I don't go into the book of Enoch. Uh, that's gonna, that's gonna come up in a future book. I'm doing a lot more research right now. Um, that's gonna include, um, Enoch and, uh, some of the other, um, some of the literature that turns up in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, uh, the, um, uh, I can't think of the other name. Um, and as well as tying some of that back to the Sumerian literature. Right. Um, so right now I'm actually doing, uh, a very deep dive into the book of Job because it, it turns out that there's, um, I, I believe it looks to me right now at in the middle of my study. Uh, it looks like there's a very strong parallel between the book of Job and the Sumerian Akkadian, uh, Enuma Elish. So I've just put out a book on the Enuma Elish with a little bit of commentary and the entire, um, the entire text uh, mm. of the original, um, Sumerian language translated to English. I, I use a standard translation that's available on the internet. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating. Mm. So now that I'm into it, I can't stop,
0: right? <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, you, know, A lot of the accounts of the UFO stuff is found in the Old Testament. Is there any stuff Mm -hmm. in the New Testament that points to UFOs? Yeah. Absolutely. So,
1: um, again, this is the problem here is that the descriptions are um, a little bit uh, like, okay, so a lot of them are focused on, let's, let's look at Jesus, for example, so. Um, if you look at the stories of Jesus in, in the gospels, you find, um, three or four occasions which actually kind of sound like a UFO, but because we are, um, we're so used to reading them in a spiritual, metaphorical kind of a light, um, we're not really seeing it. But if you look at the, uh, Jesus's baptism, um, Jesus's death, uh, the transfiguration, and, um, Jesus' ascension, all of those have some, actually some pretty strong UFO elements. Um, but the, the narrator is not really putting those together in terms of describing what he's seeing, mm-hmm. um, other than just to provide a little bit of color around Jesus. So it's hard to say for sure. Um, but I mean, I guess it, at that point, it kind of depends on, um, what, what are things that are possible and real? Um, are UFOs possible and real? Are angels possible and real? Um, are like, do people just start flying up into the sky? So like, these are kind of the questions that you have, that you have to ask. So it becomes, um, very dependent on, uh, what kind of phenomenological, phenomenal, phenomenology uh, you would consider feasible. Um, and then you have to kind of interpret it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the apostle Paul also mentions, um, a couple of experiences that he had. Um, on the, in, on the first occasion, um, he's on the road to Damascus and he sees a bright light, which blinds him for three days. Um, and so that could very well be a UFO, um, and possibly even with, um, some, some type of psionic or whatever kind of intervention. Um, it's almost as though a message was seared into his brain directly. Um, but again, it's hard to say. And, um, he's, he's not really describing it in those terms because, uh, he has a spiritual and religious agenda. So that's, that's kind of where that, where that fits in.
0: Um, Do you think that the star of Bethlehem was actually a UFO and the three wise men were going to that spot and that Jesus mm-hmm. who was actually an extraterrestrial dropped off for Jerry, for, for, for Mary and Joseph to care for? And all this was organized through some type of tele- telepathic communication with extraterrestrials, kind of like in close encounters of the third kind. And, right. um and the ETs dropped off. Jesus Jesus was maybe, possibly, an extraterrestrial.
1: Um, it's it's entirely possible. Well, that explains the of birth uh, too. Well, yeah, exactly. And the narrative in the in the book of Matthew certainly doesn't rule that out, um, and it does provide um, some evidence for some of those pieces. So let's look at each of those individually. So, was the star a UFO? um yeah it totally was like almost absolutely uh because look at the way that it moves um it's very similar to uh another classic ufo in the bible the pillar of fire that led uh, the israelites around in the exodus for 40 years okay so in both of these cases you've got um some kind of shining object in the sky in the case of the star it's staying pretty far away, uh, so it doesn't really fit the close encounters motif. Um, it's more of a long-distance encounter, which is tough because even in modern day when you have, um, even if you've seen something like this yourself, it's really hard to figure out what it is because it's basically a point of light. So all you have to go on is the movement. So here the movement is critical uh, because there's only one thing that I know of, that um travels hundreds of miles for one which is the first thing we're told is that uh, the wise men have been following it from the east which is significant distance probably thousands of, of miles um and uh so it it moves long distances it's in the sky it does it does so over a course of um probably a month or or a couple weeks uh, because if you look at the, the travel times when you're walking or riding on a camel or a donkey or whatever these guys had, they only had this low tech stuff with, uh, with feet and hooves. Um, so their, their travel speed is quite limited and yet they're able to follow this supposed star. So it's definitely not a comet, uh, or a meteorite or an asteroid or any, any of those celestial um kind of events um it at this point it could still be literally just a star or a planet uh that's moving slowly across the sky however that mo- that model breaks down when you look at some of the other um motion so they're 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 following it for a long time and then it stops Uh, so they know kind of they're in the right area. So then they start asking around, um, and they have enough time to go down to, um, uh, talk to Herod and, uh, and ask those kinds of questions and figure, you know, hey, where is this? And, and eventually they're, um, they're led to Bethlehem. And now it gets even weirder because it says that the star stopped right over the house. Well, if you're, if you're, looking at a at planet or a star or anything like that, um, there's zero way that you can interpret a location of a star to a specific house in a t- small town. Like, that just doesn't compute at all. So I my interpretation of that is that this object had to have come, um, it, if it was traveling high up in the sky, it had to have come down um, at the point of arriving in Bethlehem, and probably like you said, probably there was some kind of beam of light or something uh, that singled out the specific location, uh, because um, the book of Matthew claims that it led them right to the exact spot. Um, so, I don't know if it was like the manger scene that we, that we always see at Christmas. Um, it doesn't necessarily uh, tie those two um, things together, like it's not necessarily saying that, um, oh, Jesus was lying in the manger and the UFO stopped right on top. Um, but it's certainly feasible to read it that way. Um, so, okay. So then you the next part of your question was, is, Gio, is Jesus a UFO? Uh, is Jesus an ET? Well, okay. So let's, let's look at the, um, Sort of what's, what's led up to this point is that we've had, um, we've had UFOs, uh, in heavily involved in Israel's history, um, with, in the book of Exodus, pretty much the entire book is in the presence of a, of this flying, uh, flaming pillar of fire, pillar of smoke, and it's wandering around the desert, um, again, the same type of motion um so they're following it around so i mean if you if you don't think that the pillar of fire is a ufo um i don't know what to tell you but like read uh read the book of exodus the whole thing or read my book uh, ufos in the bible and i'll kind of walk you through it and it becomes quite obvious um so that so we've had uh, these ufos appearing um throughout the entirety of israel's history Uh, at the very beginning with Moses, um, probably even before that with Abraham, although that's not super clear. Um, and then certainly again throughout their, uh, their history, um, in the captivity, uh, years in Babylon and, um, and all throughout the prophets. So, um, so then if you look at, so that's the fact that the UFOs are interacting, that aliens are interacting with Israel. whatever reason now so what's the reason if you look at um the the story of the virgin birth uh, or particularly um, it's not actually about the virgin birth because they don't actually talk about the birth which is weird Uh, Mm -hmm. what that story does talk about is that um, mary was going about her business um, she was engaged. She was a virgin. Uh, all of a sudden, an angel shows up. His name is Gabriel. And he says, Hey, you're going to bear a child. Then the next thing we see in this story is Jesus is, is already like, she's already pregnant. She's about to give birth. Um, so here's the funny thing hmm. Gabriel shows up and goes, You're going to be pregnant next thing we see is she's pregnant he says how exactly so Gabriel says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and yet there's that part of the story is not told so that's very strange like wouldn't you think that if the Holy Spirit was going to come upon somebody they're gonna remember that and they're probably gonna write it down or tell the the biographer who shows up because Somebody, the uh, Matthew and actually Luke is the, the main one um, who has a lot of these details. And Luke was basically um, a journalist. Uh, he sets out at the beginning of his book. He says, I'm going to look. He says, basically, there's a bunch of stories flying around. I'm going to tell you the real story. So I'm going to dig into it. Like he's definitely doing um, investigative journalism and interviewing people. So Luke definitely interviewed Mary. Um, and yet, neither of them thought it was important to mention this fact of, hey, what was it like when the Holy Spirit came upon you? Because that doesn't happen very often. It happens a couple times before that in the Bible, and it's written in. Like, you know, David uh, was uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he danced ferociously so that his wife almost kind of threatened to leave him because he was just acting like an idiot. Um and yet they just leave it out when Mary gets pregnant. Um, something's strange. So I think that part of the story has been redacted, um, or for whatever reason, they, the original sources chose to leave it out.
0: Um, and it? you know, just like with a lot of emotions. well, that's
1: that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Um, so it gets even weirder because it's not just Mary that has this experience. Um, Mary's cousin Elizabeth has a very similar experience uh, which results in the birth of John the Baptist. Um, Several hundred years before that uh, there's a guy named Samson that you've probably heard about. Mm -hmm. His mother had the exact same thing happen. Um, All three of these women had Gabriel show up. It's always Gabriel. Um, There's also two other cases uh, whose names I'm not recalling at the moment. And again, it's Gabriel. So every time Gabriel shows up, somebody gets pregnant. What's going on, Gabriel? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know how biology works, so you can't fool me. Uh, but there's something strange happening. And then, if you also take it all the way back to um, the the book the Book of Enoch, uh, which again isn't considered the Bible by by many Christians, um, but it does have, um, I mean, the Bible quotes the book of Enoch in at least three times. So uh, to me, it really should be there. Um, so so let's talk about that. So Enoch um, has a similar story where um, he talks about actually going, um, going up to a, a, a UFO. Like basically he was abducted and then they allowed him to live with them on their ship, Um, but it actually talks about going back and forth a couple of times uh, because um, Lamech, who is Noah's father, um, has this interesting situation where Mm -hmm. when Noah was born, Lamech goes, what is going on? This kid is half alien. Um, And like he's basically accusing his wife uh, of having, um, Mm -hmm. having slept with an alien. Um, so then if we have this very explicit, uh, alien DNA intervention, um, you know, genetic manipulation, um, that's happening with the birth of Noah. Well, it also definitely happened with Adam. I mean, that's basically the the whole deal with Adam, right? Um, God breathed his life into a ball of mud. Well, obviously there's some metaphors happening here, um, but uh, God was doing biological manipulation in Adam, in Enoch, in uh, Samson, in uh, John the Baptist, and in Jesus. So, whether that means that Jesus was delivered from a ship, or whether the uh, whether these interventions were being done while on Earth, I don't know, um, and I don't know that it matters. But um, I, I've also talked to a few. Um, abductees uh, it, that like recently or in the last 20 years mm-hmm. had similar experiences um, in neither of these cases were um, were like pregnancy or whatever, but just um, a couple of uh, men that I know that I talked to said that um, it became it was not clear to them, whether they were actually taken aboard an a, a, a alien ship or or not, um, because it was one of these cases where the ETs show up in your bedroom, right? And so they've, they could feel things happening, and uh, one of these guys actually has a scar from where they performed some type of minor surgery on him. Um, and in both of these cases, it's there's sort of this concept of they felt like they were flying out their window, um, uh, which is a common thread in, in, uh, UFO abduct, abductees. Um, but again, it's not, they don't really remember, like, did they fly up to a ship or not? So you're right. Like Mary might not remember that either. And, um, and we don't know like the exact details of, of how that looks. Um, if there was, uh, fertilization occurring was it through sex or was it through um in vitro or you know other types of means and injections and stuff like that uh we don't know um but either is possible um i, th- I think you're right though i mean i think there's there's all of that put together is pretty good evidence that jesus is a uf is an alien
0: or at least some type of hybrid or Part of this, Mm yeah. I mean, a lot, almost all the female abductees that I've interviewed over the last year and a half talk about being pregnant when they're not pregnant, and then they're told by these star people that they have twenty kids, you know, or, or whatever.
1: Okay. So, like, as if they had been used as an incubator and mm-hmm. then the, the ETs took the children?
0: Yeah, they're, like, they carried the child baby for, like, a short period of time. They come back, they ret- retrieve uh, the fetus at a certain time, and then they maybe test tube it from there. Right.
1: Interesting. Yeah, you got to wonder. Like, there's there's a lot of weird stuff going on, and when, when the more angles you look at it, the more it all kind of seems to be the same thing, right? All different pieces of the same puzzle.
0: Interesting. Do you think that when Jesus was crucified and resurrected, that he was not resurrected, but possibly taken into a UFO, maybe they healed him, and then dropped him back off? Um.
1: I would say the logistics of that particular thing would be difficult to reconcile uh, with the narrative that we have um, because we uh, we do have details around that, that um, s- supposed event. So, it, so the Bible essentially tells us that um, he died on the cross. He was taken down from the cross. He was placed in a grave. He was there for three days. And then he arose, and mm-hmm. that's not just okay. This is what happened. It's more detailed, so I think that um, it would be hard to reconcile that. Okay, maybe he with, wasn't taken
0: from the cross, but maybe he was taken mm-hmm. from the tomb, and that would explain yep. the shroud of Turan. And then, yeah, that's and possibly maybe he wasn't. Maybe he really wasn't dead, or maybe the aliens have a way of resurrecting or cloning yeah dropping them back off sure
1: sure um yeah i would say that uh that's not com- that's not completely out of the question um when the um, when the two when the women um discovered jesus's open grave um they they actually in that passage there they actually describe a ufo um and now they use the word angel uh, but the, the, the thing about angels is angels is not really a biblical, um, topic. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that the Bible has angels in it. It doesn't. Um, in the Old Testament, there's no such thing as an angel. The word angel is not used, uh, because it's a Greek word that shows up later in the New Testament. So what, what you have to realize is when people in the New, in the New Testament are talking about angels, They're talking about a Greek concept, um, which is very much heavily influenced by Greek mythology. So they are, they are, they do tend to be coming from, um, sort of a worldview of like, yeah, there's literally people with wings that are flying around because that's, they're getting that from the Greek. Now, whatever they, they saw, um, is, isn't described exactly like that. Uh, but what it does say is that they saw shining men and they call them angels, but they don't, they don't say that they were, uh, literally man looking people with wings. Um, we're only projecting that back because of the, uh, sort of the Greek, um, assumptions that, that we have that are built into the words that we're using. Um, but those, those words are not in the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't talk about angels at all. It talks about, um, several different types of things happening. Um, a lot of times they, they're called messengers, um, with usually with no description, but when they are described, uh, such as in the book of Isaiah, um, and, or sorry, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel sees one of these messengers and he describes him as coming out of a ship and having green skin. That's in the Bible. That's in the book of Daniel. No one's teaching that Bible story. Uh, but yeah, there's this emerald skinned man who's sh- shiny and green. Um and then so if you look at uh Daniel and, and Isaiah and Ezekiel and you look at their descriptions, because these are the these are the three guys who are really describing things a lot more um mm-hmm. uh, because honestly they're just like, What the hell's going on? And so they write it down. Um, and this is where you get all those very strange things that are, have been translated as wheels within wheels, um, uh, creatures with four faces and, um, creatures with multiple wings and with eyes all around. So there's some very strange stuff going on. And, um, what I, in my book, I go into great detail, um, Analyzing the actual Hebrew words that are used there, um, and noticing that, A, they're, they're not angels. Um, there are a few words such as cherubim and seraphim that show up in there. Mm. Um, and also here's a, here's another interesting part is that the, the suffix in Hebrew with I am, uh, so pronounced im, any word that you have in Hebrew that ends in im, means the people of so it's like the elohim is not god the elohim is the people of something so (laughs) it depends again on what elo means Mm -hmm. but and i have some ideas around that which i'm not quite ready to share uh which will be in a a future book but there's all of these um heme or im um preachers like races or species um, and many of them are explicitly non terrestrial, um, because they're called the sky people. Um, and some of them are actually an aquatic race, uh, which God created before humans mm-hmm. and were the apparently the master race on earth before, uh, before Homo sapiens. Um, it's literally in the book of Genesis talking about uh, um, the supreme race on earth before humans was an aquatic race. And you have to read into it a little bit, but it's right in there uh, if you look at the Hebrew words instead of just believing the translators um, with whatever crap
0: they decided to put on.
1: Because translating Hebrew words is not easy because Hebrew <laughs> is a dead language.
0: It's a tough language, too, because each letter has a meaning, um, each word has a meaning and then there's numerical values as well <laughs> so yeah yeah it's tricky yeah interesting um, and also like when I bring up the Jesus story too one of the things you say about the shroud is that for that photographic image of the body to appear on that shroud would take an immense amount of energy and light that we were definitely not capable of in any type of natural environment at that time.
1: Yeah, it's interesting um, that the human body does give off light. Like, currently right now, if you were to turn off all your lights and, and close all your blinds, um, there would actually be a very small amount of photons coming directly from your body for no reason. It's not not reflections or anything. Um, it's just that, well, almost everything um, does give off, uh, very small amounts of light. And the human body is one of those things. Um, so it's, you're kind of r- right by saying, like, it's really all about the amount of power. So if Jesus is an all powerful being, um, then there's certainly no shortage of power, uh, to generate photons. Um, I don't really know much about the, the Shroud of Turin. Um, I've never really been uh, that um, connected to or interested in uh, the whole um, relics and and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It is interesting, but, I mean, there's so much, like, how do you know, right? Like, where did this thing come from? It's really old. It's got a long, storied history, but where did it come from? Somebody could have made that. I don't know. Um, So, I don't know. But if it is real, then, yeah. Um, I would say, you know, Jesus is a being of light, and um, and and that also kind of explains some of the other things that Jesus was able to do while he was alive. Um, he like, and a, a lot of people don't know this, um, which is really weird because it's literally the the entire story of Jesus is that Jesus was a healer. Uh, Jesus went. Um, Traveling, he just walked around, uh, from village to village and wherever he went, um, in, he, in some cases, he, um, he healed, uh, you know, just anybody who was, uh, who was wandering the streets or anyone he, he came across. Um, sometimes he didn't heal very many people. Uh, he waited because he wait, kind of waited till people asked him to. But every time anyone asked him to heal them, he did, um, and there's a few cases where he, in, he healed an entire village. Um, now, how how is that possible? Well, you could say that it's alien DNA that allows him to do that, and he's got some kind of special powers. Yeah, maybe. Um, but here's another weird thing: is that Jesus actually taught his disciples to do that as well. And when he left, uh, when when Jesus left Earth. His, his disciples, there were more than 12 of them. There were at least 70, um, as described in the Book of Acts and a couple of places. Um, 70 of Jesus' followers did the exact same thing. They went around and they healed people. Now, again, it's not like to say that they healed everybody everywhere they went, uh, but they did heal people. And um, so... This is, a, again, this is kind of going back to what, st- what started getting me into the, all the weird stuff in the Bible, was I I noticed this and I thought, well, gee, um, Jesus actually tells all of his followers to do this. So how come we're not doing it? So I started doing it um, because um, I figure if Jesus tells all his followers to do a thing, and if I'm a follower of Jesus, I better do the thing um but no one else uh it seems to be doing it Hmm. now there are some people doing it but it's very uh very much a minority um but i was literally able to heal people um i have uh i probably don't want to go into those stories but i have healed a couple of people and um at least one of one of them was quite remarkable and so um how does that work? Well, I don't know really, but it sort of feels like there's light flowing through you and um, this healing energy. And that's what Jesus was doing. Most of the time, he would place his hand on something. Not always, but um, a lot of times. And so there is, a, it seems a, there's a lot of similarity between some of the concepts that are still currently taught in uh, traditional Chinese medicine and um, some of the other Eastern traditions. Um, so there's definitely something to this. Um, but we don't understand how it works from a scientific perspective. We, there's things we haven't figured out. We haven't discovered. Um, but the, the Chinese theory, uh, has already a pretty good understanding of a lot of these with the whole systems of meridians and qi and uh, the chakras in the indian um systems so there's a lot of things that have been discovered um but we haven't quite discovered yet how to fit them into our current um kind of you know the scientific model uh, because our investigations uh in western medicine have all been based on um vivisection and uh and autopsies so very much a, oh, let's just take it apart and see what it does approach, uh, which is, you know, is is good. Like that works if you want to figure out how to how a tractor works. Uh, you can take it apart and, and get a lot of information out of it. Um And, you know, that that works on a on a say a 57 Chevy, um, but it doesn't work so good on a 2022 Chevy because it's got a lot of computers in it. So you can take apart um, a new car and have no idea how it works uh, because you can't see software. And I believe that that the same problem is plaguing um, the kind of the Western science worldview is that it's so mechanistic and um, and purely uh, physical that we we have no concept that there's actually software running. But there's obviously software running. Because you're thinking,
0: Hmm. you know, um, the healing. um, One of the common things Mm. there's certain common denominators with uh, people with experiencers after their experience. A lot of them will either have a sudden interest in the metaphysical and spiritual. One of the other things is some of them are returned with an ability to heal other people. Um, Mm. I did not know that. And one of them. I, I've, I've actually experienced it. I, I I was really going through a bad time. And, um, yeah, I had a podcast scheduled to interview, um, Michael Carter from Ancient aliens. He's also written oh, yeah. a book on aliens in the Bible. And after talking, <laughs> yeah, to I've him, interviewed him, him as well. And after talking to him, you know, I told him what was going on with me afterwards. I felt amazing. I felt like a completely different person. It's Like he did something to me, you know? Right. And, um, yeah, You know, and, and, and he, t- you know, he says he's had that, that ability ever since he's had his experience. And it's kind of funny, too, because as we were been talking, he just sent me a text message as
1: well. Oh, no way. <laughs>
0: See, we're all
1: connected. There's definitely some kind of crazy energy. Um, how, how does that work? We don't know.
0: Well, one of the things <clears> I've <throat> also been watching, um, I forget what it was, but it was some show on Gaia. And they were experimenting with how consciousness affects matter, like how you can change the structure of water by by meditating mm-hmm. on it, you know. And you can mm-hmm. a little bit, but the thing that's most responsive or changes the most by um, focusing your consciousness is DNA.
1: Oh yeah. I um, I mean that's. So I don't know if I would say DNA per se, but I would say on a cellular level, um, for sure I would agree with that statement. Um was oh, it experiment
0: that he've proven with.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they actually could see the DNA changing? <laughs>
0: wow. I gotta see
1: that. Um Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean I mean, this is the whole point of meditation, right? Like when you meditate, you're basically kind of well at least how i've done it um is allowing your focus to move to various parts of your body um and whether how how much control you do over that is um is variable uh but you can certainly like here's something that i've done many times is oh my neck is really sore so i meditate and i i think about um, that area that's sore, and I sort of relax it and I just kind of talk, you know, sort of talk to the cells in that area and I just tell them that it's okay and they have, you know, they have what they need and I kind of send them some energy and good vibes and it totally works. Um, I've also done that, uh, while I was, um, with a therapist and they, they had put their hand um, just like hovering over the back of my neck, like about, uh, an inch away or maybe, maybe a little bit closer. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try this because, uh, they claim to be, be working in energy, right? So I'm like, okay, well, theoretically then you should be able to feel if I do this thing. So I didn't tell them when I was going to do it. I said, okay, just keep your hands there. And then at some point I'm going to, I'm going to kind of blast you and, they got it like exactly when I when I did it. I sent like this wave of energy to that spot, and they were like, "Whoa!" Like, <laughs> like it literally made them jump. Um, also, when I was um, uh, doing a healing session with uh, some friends of mine, they um, uh, this uh, one person had um, sprained their ankle, and so I I put my hands on their ankle. And they told me later they could feel, they could literally see, um, like, so obviously not seeing physically, but they told me that they could see blue lightning coming from my hands going into their ankle. Um, and this is kind of a common thing is this idea of light and energy. And, you know, Jesus is always uh, doing this healing stuff, but he also said a few things. And when he, When he talks about uh, like kind of why we're here and and those kinds of ideas, um, he often talks about light and being uh, people of light, being children of light. Um, We are the light. Uh, I am the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Um, So light is a big um, central topic in terms of Jesus's uh, worldview or kind of structural philosophy i mean jesus doesn't explain really what he's thinking or what he knows uh, but he says things that uh that give you some hints and a lot of times they're about life so yeah i would i really it wouldn't it be fascinating to sit down with jesus and interview him about some of these same kinds of questions
0: um maybe we can sometime it, it, Who knows? Or, or maybe this information exists. I mean, I often wonder, like, what is in the basement of Vatican? Like, what text mm. do they have? What do they know? Right. Right. You know.
1: It, um, yeah. So, that, that reminds me. There's this guy named Brian Murresco. I don't know if you've heard of him. No. Um, he wrote a book recently. Uh, just came out last year. It's called... Um, the Immortality Key, which is, um, sort of a weird name for the title, The uh, the book is, is actually about, um, uh, narcotics in religion, and basically his premise is that, um, Christianity was founded, on based off of these previous Greek mysteries, uh, where it was very much a, um, like people would go there to have this religious experience, but it was essentially uh, a psilocybin trip or something very similar to that. Um, So uh, it's a huge book where he dives into it. But the reason I bring it up is that he actually um, was allowed to go into the Vatican libraries. And like this guy's been working on this book for 12 years and he spends tons of time in the library of Congress Um, He's fluent in ancient Greek, uh, Latin, and Sanskrit, uh, among other languages. And he has had the opportunity to go into the Vatican libraries as well. So I wonder what he's seen even. Uh, But, yeah, you're right, man. There's got to be some crazy stuff down there.
0: Yeah, I think they know what truth is.
1: I wonder. I wonder if they know, or if like they okay, it's there, but nobody's really um, like. Are they actually passing the, the summarized information along? I don't know. I mean,
0: maybe. I, I think. I think when you piece it together, we look at the Bible, then you look at the Sumerian texts, you look at um, Native American mythology, you look at Mayan mythology, yeah. and yeah and Egyptian, and it kind of... They're all telling the same story. In fact, they're all telling mm-hmm. the same story that these things came from the stars. These are star people. That's yeah. The only one that doesn't really come out and say that is uh, the Jewish texts and the Christian texts. But every other one in yeah. and, the and Muslim texts. Like, like, like the, the right. Abrahamic religions take that part out. But all the other ones right. that have been around... And a lot of the stories match up, too. You can't discount that. A lot of these stories match up. Like yeah. The floods, the epochs, all that different stuff. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, totally. And, well, so you bring up a good point. They do take it out. They've literally taken it out because it's actually still there. If you know how to look for it, it's still there. Um, so we have uh, – there's a website called um, – Bible Hub, Bible Gateway, Bible Hub, and Bible Hub has, um, you know, all, all the modern um, versions of the Bible. So whichever version you like, it's there. Now you can look up uh, whatever chapter or, or book or whatever or verse you want to look at. Um, you can also do uh, the Hebrew, and you can Read it in the Hebrew and English at the same time, so they're right beside each other. They call it interlinear Hebrew. Um, so if you go look at the Book of Genesis um, and say you look at uh, Genesis one one, the very first book, uh, very first verse in the Bible, you can read the Hebrew as well. So we all, I think most of us are, a lot of us are familiar with uh, with this verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, okay. That's not really what it says. Go look at the Hebrew and you're going to see, um, what it actually says is in the beginning. Now that word is not super clear, but I'm, I'm going to say, okay, for now, let's just say in the beginning, mm-hmm. it's fine. I'm going to be digging into that one a little bit more in a future book as well. But in the beginning, the Elohim, not God, there's no Yahweh in, in Genesis one. Um, so in the beginning, the Elohim, a plural species mm-hmm. separated, not created. the word the Hebrew word there is separated. It's a Hebrew word that is pronounced bara and uh, it means separated and you can see that word used many other times um, in uh, across the Old Testament and never does it mean created. It always means separated. Uh, The only time that they've translated it as created was in this one particular verse, and it doesn't make sense to suddenly give a word a different meaning just because it's convenient. Sorry, that's not how words work. So in the beginning, the Elohim separated the... Now, so Earth is, is right, but what's the other thing? The other thing is not the heavens. It's actually... Um, the Hamayim, which is again an em word, so it's a species. So what it's saying is, in the beginning, the Elohim separated this other species from Earth. That's the first book, the first verse in the Bible. So already in the first verse, you've got alien species uh, that have been cut off from Earth. Hmm. That's what the Bible's about. Um, so with that as your frame of reference, the Bible is entirely about UFOs, uh, ETs, and their interactions with humanity. That's the entire story. So Jesus fits into that story. You, If you don't realize that, you kind of have to wonder, why is the story of Jesus so different from the story of the Old Testament? Why is the Old Testament and the New Testament so different? Well, they're not because they're both the continuing stories of the extraterrestrial, um, interventions with humanity. And if in, in red in that light, uh, the, the, this man of light is the same story. It's just, he's passing it on to the rest of us. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. You know, um, you know, yeah. Um,
1: well, that's the thing. Nobody knows that because yeah. it's been hidden. It's not just even swept under the rug. It's literally mistranslated, um, and that has to be on purpose. Hmm. There is no possible way that you can accidentally change the word divided into created. And also, this whole thing with all the eem is totally a cover-up. Wow. They don't want us to know. That there's other races. So every time that you see the word im, it's translated into something that's absolutely not. So the Elohim becomes God. Uh, the Hamayim usually gets translated as the sky. Uh, but I'm um, sorry, this is a race. This is a species. It's people, uh, some kind of intelligent beings because it says im. Hmm. Um, so don't just say that it's the sky. Like, somebody kn- knew what they were doing when this happened. Now, everybody keeps perpetuating this bad translation, and I don't think they know what they're doing, uh, but somebody somewhere did.
0: Right. It's, that's actually something, you know, I, last time I interviewed Jim Willis, we we talked a lot about his most recent book, I think it was like The History of God or something, I forget the title of it. Um, Censored, uh, Censoring God? God? Yeah, yeah, Censoring God and um yeah. you know about how the bible was basically you know it was commissioned by kings and they put together a council so this council of 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 priests and monks or whatever are the ones that decided yeah. what stayed in and what stayed out yeah that's
1: right so but that didn't happen till 300 AD um and it's it's the council of nicaea mm-hmm. uh which was essentially um the basically uh at that point it was all the, the Catholic Church. Um so it's basically a bunch like the Pope and a bunch of bishops and and yeah, kings were involved in. So very much a political um organized thing. And it was really literally the the point of their meeting was, hey, what are we gonna tell people to believe? Um, excuse me. That's that's a strange agenda to have. <laughs>
0: Why would you want to tell people what to believe?
1: Why would you? Well, because they can't handle the truth. And the governments today are still doing the same thing. The governments and the churches both doing it in different ways, uh, but they're both still denying the same basic facts.
2: Hmm.
0: What about, like like recently, what do you think about, like, some of the disclosure that has happened with with the UFOs? Do you think yeah. that they're going to let people know the truth or do you think it's, um,
1: well, okay. So first quiet? of all,
0: yeah, I mean,
1: this is a good time to do it because we're, everyone's so preoccupied with other stuff. Um, I mean, that I was just actually, uh, watching, um, Joe Rogan talk uh, to somebody about this exact question. um, where they basically were like, uh, this is the perfect opportunity to reveal this information because nobody gives a shit right now. There's just so much going on. Um, we don't have time to process that. And I, I think that there's there's something to it, um, for sure. Uh, but, you know, okay, let's look at me. I don't watch the news. I don't care about politics. I don't care. Half the time, I don't even know who the uh, the world <laughs> leaders are, right. including um, in my own country. I, mean, I know who my, who my prime minister is, uh, but there's been many times over the last 20 years where I purposely avoided knowing who the, the election results. And I went for about four months without knowing who the premier of my province was because it doesn't matter. Uh, it's just figureheads saying the same bullshit talking head shit. And so it, I don't care what their face is or what their name is. They're all the same. Um, and they, they don't, nobody's really doing anything. So it doesn't involve me. I don't care. Um, so in terms of all the political stuff, I mean, you know, even now we've got new wars happening and people are invading and blah, blah, blah. And we've got, uh, you know, viruses taking over the world and we're all going to die, but we still have the same problems. We still all hate each other. Uh, we're still divided. We still have racism. We still have classism. Uh, we still, um, take advantage of each other whenever we can. Um, it's rich versus poor and all of this stuff. So this is kind of the whole, the whole thing is that, um, people see an advantage that they can take. And that often comes with controlling, uh, how much information is known. And so if you know, if you know something, um, and you have a, whether it's mistaken or not, but you have some kind of belief that, um, this piece of knowledge will jeopardize your power, you will do everything in your power to keep that information from coming out. Now, so the, so I guess the real question is, um, does the knowledge of extraterrestrials, um, threaten the existing power structure on Earth? Well, it does, um, in some ways. I mean, economically, uh, there's, there's a lot of ways that, that this could go very badly for them. Um, however, I, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And if you were really smart, um you would take that knowledge and say okay well if there let's let's say i'm like a an oil conglomerate bigwig and i say well if there are ets out there i don't want people to know because they might get you know free, they might get access to uh cheap energy and, and i'll lose my my entire um product line or they could say oh well if there are ets out there um, I want to find out about them and maybe I can also probably still benefit from their new technology because I'm, I'm in a position where I know how to distribute and, and I, I know how to run a business. And 99% of the people on earth aren't going to want to do that themselves and they still need somebody to uh, provide services for them. So a guy like Elon Musk is not afraid. Of the aliens because he's smart and intelligent and and a kind of a reasonable guy Um, and he'll go well fine I'm gonna go see what they've got and I know I can sell that shit on earth easily (laughs) right like we are here the consumers are not going away so we're always going to be buying something Uh, there's always going to be some kind of economy and if you are in a position of power and you're and that makes you afraid, it's because you're not smart enough to know how to how to um, pivot your business. So a guy like Elon um, and honestly, some of these other billionaires, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of these guys are are probably the people that we do want um, in positions of leadership <coughs> because they they know what they're doing and they're not afraid. Now, when it comes to, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are, uh, a lot of my friends really hate the billionaires. Um, I'm like, no, bring it on. I, I want Elon to go explore and, uh, and go find out what's on Mars because I think there's some, probably some weird stuff he's going to find. And that's the stuff that's going to change our world. Um, so when, when you look back through history, you remember the people who changed the world. And Elon's going to be one of those guys. Well, he sort of already is, although, I mean, honestly, what's he really done so far? He's got some really awesome ideas in terms of the uh, his underground tunnel and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, an electric car, okay, It's you know what? He's not the first guy to make an electric car. Uh, the reason that we don't use electric cars is because we don't want to uh it's not cuz we couldn't or they weren't weren't available um but yeah it'll be interesting to see in this in the next 10 to 20 years or or even less i don't know um what happens when we when we start when we're taking now we're taking government and authority out of space exploration and to me that's a good thing
0: do you think um like like you mentioned, do you think if, if we reach a point like like right now politically, like like you know how they're they're always saying now like we're on this verge of World War Three, going to be nuclear war, and all this, all this fear stuff. Do you mm-hmm. think if we actually took it that far beyond just the um, saber rattling, that extraterrestrials would intervene, do an intervention to try to help the human race?
1: No. I don't think so, because um, we've already destroyed ourselves six times. Maybe, I mean, okay, we know that the dinosaurs were wiped out. Yeah, I know. Everybody knows about that. I know of at least four. Okay. Yeah, so if you go look on uh, Wikipedia and just look up extinct global extinction events, um, there's there's sort of levels of them. So there's like, okay, there's like four or five where like 70 to 90% of life was exterminated. And then there's a bunch of other ones where it was like, uh, half or 20% or something like that. But there's still, there's all the entire history of earth is this long chain of bad things that blow everything up. And, um, so you you don't have to exterminate all life on Earth. Uh, in order for it to, to be a cataclysm, uh, in terms of the civilization. So, um, the younger dry ass event, uh, which is mm-hmm. something that Graham Hancock is always talking about. And, um, like, so 10, well, ab- about 10,000 years ago, the, the, the last, I was gonna say the last, last ice age ended, but it's, it didn't. We're still in it. We're currently in an ice age. Um, but it, there was a big melting event. Um, and so the ocean levels rose 400 feet. Well, if you look at, um, where do humans tend to build cities? At the mouths of rivers. Mm-hmm. And so when, when that sea level rose 400 feet, um, that wiped out pr- probably most of the cities. Um, whether they were towns or villages or cities, um, it, doesn't matter in terms of the, the concept here is that whatever we had done up to that point was gone. Um, so that has, that's definitely things to that scale. It didn't wipe out the entire planet. It didn't wipe out like um, it didn't uh, cause the extinction of, of a massive amount of species. Um, but it in terms of civilization, it, Completely demolished civilization. Um, because even if, uh, even if there were cities that, that, w- that remained intact, that were, uh, built in the highlands, um, well, the, the, all the key infrastructure is gone. So if you, if you were to right now, if that were to happen, um, let's say the oceans suddenly rose even a hundred feet right now, you'd lose LA, um, New York, like the entire California coast, uh-huh. uh, the entire eastern seaboard, uh, Washington, D.C., um, probably also all the places around the Great Lakes. Um, so, um, you know, Chicago and uh, so like basically most of our major city cities, um, they're all going to be underground, uh, underwater. So you're still going to have, um, you know, lots of cities are not going, going to be destroyed um what's the biggest city in Colorado Denver I don't know den oh, yeah sure so Denver's safe uh for sure um and there's probably tons of other cities that are but if all of a sudden you you lose even just New York and la even if just those two cities were destroyed that would be a huge impact on the economy and on the the uh, the technical infrastructure uh the power grid all that kind of stuff um, so it it actually doesn't take much to uh, to basically disable civilization. It's not necessarily going to kill anyone. Um, everybody might escape. You know, they'll all hop in their cars and drive as far as they can until they run out of gas, and then run from there. Um, so a lot of people are going to survive, uh, but the world won't be the same. And um, and we're we're very close to. I mean, the risk of that happening is extremely high. Um, not so that so we've got tsunamis can do that kind of stuff. Usually a tsunami will only wipe out one city, so that's not bad. We can recover. You know, we recovered Tokyo, uh, or Japan recovered after, um, after their major meltdown a few years back. Mm-hmm. We recovered after, uh, New Orleans. Um, you know, we, we can deal with them getting a hit like that. Um, but we can't deal with, mm, I don't know how many. There's probably some number where it becomes increasingly difficult to, to survive. Um, and then, uh, that's just a tsunami. What about a volcano? A volcano can, uh, can turn the, the sky pitch black for, uh, up to 10 years. It's happened many times in documented history. Um, what kind of effect will that have? I don't know. Um, what about, uh, droughts? Um, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our power is generated by rivers, um, but more importantly, we need to drink, and uh, a human being can only go for, um, I don't know how, like a day or something, three days without water. So if suddenly the water supply is is toast, um, that's going to be a major thing. Um, another thing that a lot of that you you might not have heard of, of is that um, solar flares? Um, solar flares happen on on a cyclical uh, sort of a program where you know the sun burps right. every so
0: often. Yeah, yeah. I used to work for a cable company, and that was always sort of an issue for us.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So if so, it was an issue. Like how so?
0: Because it would affect the satellites. And when the satellite, oh, okay. if there was a solar storm, it could. Would interfere with the satellite transmission, which would interrupt the uh, TV programming.
1: Okay, so okay, so and those are really minor, really, really minor (laughs) (laughs) uh, solar flares. So we're um, according to like how the how the solar flare activity, uh, how the the science thinks it works, um, we should be getting a very major solar flare. we should have already had one like 200 years ago. So we're kind of long overdue. And uh, they're talking about a solar flare on the order of magnitude that will um, very predictively, we know this will happen, we don't know when, but we know that at some time, probably in the near, very near future, we will have a, a solar flare large enough that it will completely destroy the entire electrical grid. So think about that um, because the kind of thing that's going to happen is it's going to, it's going to send um, electrical pulses uh, of of a very large magnitude that are going to be large enough to blow up electrical transformers. Mm-hmm. So everyone, every one of us who has electricity coming to our house is coming through a transformer um, to get to the right level because uh, when they're, when they're transmitted across the country, they use these really high, um, high voltage, uh, lines and they have to step them down. The thing that steps it down is a transformer. So every one of us is 100% dependent on these transformers, uh, to get our electricity. All of those transformers will blow up all at once, all at the same time. And the, um, the, in order to replace those, um, there's, there is not probably less than um, less than point 0.1% of those Transformers are in stock mm-hmm. that we can replace them with, let alone the amount of manpower to do so. So even if they had the, 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 the parts, um, it would take months to, to, to repair that. Um, but it's going to be a lot worse than that because the parts don't exist. And... Um, Nobody's paying for those. So, that's a little bit scary.
0: Hmm. Damn solar flares. I always Mm -hmm. wonder, you know, you talked about the volcano. Like, what if Yellowstone erupted? Like, that would be a real shit show.
1: And it will. It absolutely will. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, like, I've been hearing about this Yellowstone. So, is that, is that, like, are they talking about that in the media now? Because this is, like, the third time this week that somebody's mentioned <laughs> no,
0: it. No, it's just, it's just one of those things. Like, I've known about it for, you know, 20 years or so or more. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is the biggest volcano on the planet.
1: Yeah. On the planet, eh?
0: Yeah.
1: So, okay, so let's think about that. We've seen some pretty big volcanoes on this planet. Uh, Pompeii was nothing. Pompeii wiped out, um, not just one city, uh, but a, a lot of surrounding countryside and villages. Um, and so, and very famously, it was, it's now we see it as a big deal because, well, we found the, uh, the buried bodies. Mm-hmm. But that was a very small voca- volcano. Um, there's a volcano that erupted in the early I believe it was like 1904 or someplace very early, 19th, 20, early 20th century um, a volcano called Krakatoa, which uh, kind of destroyed half of an island um, and caused a huge um, uh, cloud of uh, dust uh, that had worldwide impact. Now, if if Krakatoa were to happen today, I'm I'm not sure what what that would mean. Certainly um tsunamis. Uh certainly darkness. Is it gonna kill anyone? I don't know. I mean it's gonna kill someone, depends well, where it
0: happens. I remember when I was a kid, um, Mount Saint Helens erupted. And you know, yeah, but like that was like, was like Washington or whatever it is. Yeah, and it's I, in I, Washington. And, I've and, been there. And I've lived in New Jersey, but I remember like 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 getting ash, you know, when it would rain. Yeah. From Maine's housing, so on the other side of the continent.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, we also got a, We got that ash falling uh, on us as well up in Canada. Um, so that, that volcano, uh, you know, the, the impact goes a long ways. And that was a really small volcano. Mm-hmm. That thing was um, like literally like a normal-sized mountain that, that you would see anywhere you go. And um, it didn't even really blow up the mountain. All it did was, um, you know, sort of a, a chunk off the top. It kind of went like flying. Um, the, the main deal with Mount St. Helens was it uh, caused mud flows. So because... How does that work? Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. But there was these giant mudflows. So basically uh, all around the the mountain, um, there were a couple of uh, towns or just people who who lived in the area. Um, And so a a lot of their property was destroyed, uh, buried in this giant mudslide. It's like, Hmm. you know, um, I don't, I don't know how thick it was, but like very, not just like, I'm not talking about four feet of mud. I'm talking about yards and yards so
0: yeah there's yeah all kinds of other things and then there's like like meteoroids you know like um mm-hmm. like the one that hit Tung- was it tungusta in russia
1: yeah 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 that and that was a um that meteor i believe was about a half mile across and um it did uh it essentially clear-cut an entire forest just knocked down all the trees. So thankfully there, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere in terms of there weren't really very many people around. Um, but yeah, like, and that's just a little chunk of rock falling on us. Like that, it does a lot of damage. So those, those types of situations have happened um, time and time again and will continue to happen. Um, in fact, every time we go through the, uh, Twice a year, we go through the uh, what they call the um, these meteor showers. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Leonids or the Torids. Um There's a couple of different ones that we go through, and what, essentially, what's happening there is um, we're basically passing through um, an area of space that is in our orbit. So we orbit in a consistent pattern, and we go through these same areas of space every year. And in 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 this particular case, it happens twice a year because we're going through, um, you know, this one area and then back through it in six months. So every time we go through these, uh, these very predictable, uh, meteorite, um, areas, we're, we're putting ourselves, we're not putting ourselves, we're, we're at risk of actually colliding with some of these things, um, and some of them are very large. So if a half a mile wide comet can, can wipe out a whole, um, uh, forest, then, and we know that there's a lot of objects in space that are a lot bigger than a half a mile. Um, some of them are, might be a hundred miles. If we were to collide with a hundred mile chunk of rock, that's gonna do a lot of damage. Um, and so this is what, this is what caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. Um, there's, there was a, there's a crater called the Chicxulub crater. Um, it's basically, uh, in the, the Gulf of Mexico. You mm-hmm. can, you can still see like huge impact crater. Yeah.
0: Well, and, big um, crater, right? yeah, that was t- all land.
1: Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess um, we're constantly under threat, but we've also constantly already been through this. Uh, so I don't, I don't, to me, that's sort of a positive thing because we don't have to, like, worry about being completely wiped out because we know that we can survive it. We've already survived it. Um, but it doesn't mean to say that it's not going to be a very dramatic and, a uh, very harrowing experience for those who lived through it. Um, I personally kind of like just sitting in my chair here. I don't really want to have to uh, be outside and fighting for my life and become a hunter-gatherer again. Mm-hmm. I like, but if I have to, I will. And uh, we're we are going to we we are going to have to. Um, and so that's the thing. Who knows uh, who one of us, if any of us, are going to be around for it. But if not us, then our children are, or our children's children. And so the the idea that we will um, lose our civilization is absolutely um, a guaranteed
0: fact. That's why I think it's important for us to start going off planet.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not... Um, now, of course, that won't necessarily help because all those planets have the same problems. So this is the thing: is when when it comes down to
0: like, you know, but the chance um, of all those planets ecology, having the same problem at the same time.
1: Yeah, right. Um So if we had if we had a Mars colony, even just as a, a simple example, okay, whatever happens on Earth, well, we've still got a backup. So. Yeah, you're right. It's it, in terms of survival of the species, absolutely it's in, it's kind of imperative that uh, that we do. Um but it's it's interesting to me because, you know, people get so worked up about we're killing the earth. Well, yeah, you know what? Good luck. You can try to kill the earth as much as you want. The earth is just going to laugh you off because you're nothing. What we're doing is nothing compared to a lot of the shit that the Earth's already lived through and will continue to live through even after long after we kill ourselves off. The Earth doesn't care.
0: Hmm. Um, what, I was watching a show last night um, with Emery Smith, and Emery Smith says um, that extraterrestrials have basically quarantined Earth from going into space and colonizing other planets until we become more spiritually evolved.
1: Yeah. Well, that's sort of what Genesis 1.1 1, 1 says. Because in the beginning, the Elohim separated the earth from the rest of the spacemen.
0: Hmm. So, that's, so Genesis 1 is starting off probably after some type of apocalyptic event. And we probably had technology to leave, but we're not allowed to.
1: That's certainly one way of interpreting that.
0: Yeah, interesting. That's really interesting.
1: However, however, no. So let's put this into into its uh, chronological chrono, chronology here. So this is a little bit problematic. So I was going to say, remember that. Genesis 1: 1 is before uh, the creation of humanity because that happens in Genesis 2 and 3. But I can't even say that because um, Genesis is not a single creation story. It's uh, at least three separate stories. Um, so the first story is already done. It's just that one verse. In the beginning, the Elohim separated the earth from the heavens. That's the end of that creation story. Now they move on to a new, a different creation story. So here's, it's kind of like they're, maybe they're telling the same story from three different perspectives, or maybe they've gotten three different oral traditions and they're putting, splicing them onto each other. Um, or maybe it's actually three separate events. Uh, but we don't know. But what we, what you, what, what I firmly believe is that it's not a single narrative. Um, so you, when you go in the beginning, the, 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 Elohim separated the heavens and the earth, then you have, I believe, the start of a new story. And this new story is, uh, and God said, let there be light. And so that's all that, that part. So the seven days, seven days of creation, is a separate story from Genesis 1 1. Mm-hmm. And then in Genesis 2 and 3, you have a third story, which is, um, the, the creation of, of humans. And there's, there's, um, if you, if you look at those two stories, mm-hmm. it's very obvious that they're not the same story, um, because the, some of the details in terms of what the earth was like. Uh, Before the creation of man. Um, So at the. uh, In the. I I guess it would be. um, Genesis 2. At the beginning of Genesis 2. I believe is. Is where they're talking about. uh, Just before we created man. Here's what the world was like. And it gives a description. Mm -hmm. That description does not jive. With the description from the chapter before. There's. So if you look at the seven days of creation, there is at, there's no point during that seven days story, which matches the conditions that are given as the, the starting conditions of the, of the Genesis three story. So those are two separate stories that don't agree with each other. And it's not like the disagreement is necessarily a big deal, but the disagree, the disagreement does show that they're not the same story. Mm. Um so I feel like I was trying to answer a question, and I can't remember what the question was
0: <laughs> I was just talking about, you know, um, us that 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 Genesis sort of seems to start not actually from the beginning. Um, yeah. Are, are you familiar with Gary Wayne in Genesis his book Genesis Six Conspiracy?
1: No, I'll have to check that out.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting because it's all about the nephilim mating with humans, and um, it's a bit more of a, a literal type of uh, take on on uh-huh. creation rather than extraterrestrial. Um, I've had him on right. several times. It's it's interesting.
1: I'll definitely check that out.
0: Yeah, I have a um, well, that's the thing. Is like.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of these very interesting um, stories that are uh, honestly there's just a lot of room for speculation in them. Right. So I mean, but yeah. See, see I, don't bl- I don't I don't
0: believe that just one is true either. I don't believe like one an all or nothing. I mean, right. I, I'm going for like probably just all of it's true, except the one yeah. that we're really given.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I mean, there are some there are some parts that are clearly made up and, but so, but I mean, the parts that are clearly made up are, are not what's actually written in there. The, the there's stuff that's written and then there's the stuff that we're told. Why are those different? Um, especially if you're trying to tell me that this book is literally the word of God. Mm. Okay. If that's the word of God and you're telling me something different, what? Like, if it's the word of God, isn't that kind of important? Like, don't you want to actually tell me what it actually says? Don't you want to know what it actually says? Um, and yet there's this huge discrepancy uh, between what it says and what we're told it says. Mm-hmm. So what we're told it says is definitely not the word of God, even if the original one is.
0: You know that's one of the reasons. Last uh, time I was talking to Jim Willis, he was saying, you know, what made him stop being part of the clergy was he found himself defending the Bible rather than teaching it. He had to defend Ooh. things that that he knew were probably were not were lies that, that wasn't true, but yet he had to defend them, and right. it was coming unethical for him to do that. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's highly problematic.
1: And, um, you know, I guess that's part of the reason why this lie persists is that defending a lie is, is always hard. Um, just ask any liar, you know, the the whole, the whole the whole caught in your own web of deception, like it's such a, such a cliche. Um, and yet that's really what's happening. And so, um, maybe it's, So, but the, the problem in defending a lie comes when the truth is revealed. Mm -hmm. If no truth is revealed, there's not a problem because your web stands up. Uh, a web of lies is fine as long as nobody starts ripping it up. Um, it's only when that, when some truth is revealed that your web starts to fall apart and now all of a sudden you have a big problem. Um, so maybe this brings us back to the, um, disclosure question is like, okay, is it w- at one point, at one point, at what point is it going to be easier to try to defend this web of lies or to simply throw the web away and say, okay, guys, here's the real truth. Um, at what point is it easier and at what point do the benefits outweigh the benefits of the other option, um, I have no idea.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, t- I'm gonna wrap this up, but uh, I really appreciate having you on. This is a lot of fun. We'll have to definitely do it again because there's so much to to really go into on this topic.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was great to be here. Thank yeah. you very much for having me on and
0: uh, for sure. I'd love to chat some more later. Yeah. Um, before we wrap it up though, where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your book?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so my website is Dimensionfold.com. Um That's uh, I run a publishing company out of that. So you'll see a, a few other things on there that aren't necessarily me, um, but uh, there's definitely link, uh, abundant links uh, to my, uh, my books and my material and, uh, some of my other things. If you stick a UFO on the front of that URL, ufo.dimensionfold.com, uh, that'll take you directly to my book, UFOs in the Bible. Um, you can also just Google my name, uh, or Google UFOs in the Bible. Um, that book's on Amazon and I have several other books on Amazon as well. Uh, so yeah, take a look.
0: Awesome. Well, send me those links, and I'll put those in the notes of this episode so my listeners can check it out. Perfect. I, I appreciate it, guys. It was a lot of fun. And um just hanging on for one moment, and I'm just going to play the outro. Sure. Thank you for
2: listening to You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. What do you listen to today? Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochilio.